can we thank the Lord for what looked like a fantastic week, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So uh, this, this is such a great start to our summer with our Kids Day Camp. And for all of you who volunteered and gave your time and energy, you are superheroes. Thank you so much. You guys really make Jesus famous. And for all the boys and girls that got to participate, what fun and what a great opportunity for them to spend time with Jesus and to worship him and to celebrate him and to hear the gospel and, and have it reinforced each and every day as they spent time together and with many of you. Thank you again. And speaking of thanks, I want to give a special shout out to this gentleman right here, my dear friend Chris Jones for <laughs> last, thank you Chris, last Saturday night as my flight got canceled and I thought I'm not going to be here Sunday morning. I called Chris and he's like, got it. So I'm so grateful, Chris. Thank you. Even the dramatic pause I heard about that, uh, uh, that you put forward for everybody. Uh, thank you so much, my dear brother. Well, it's great to be with all of you. It's so good to gather together as family and as friends to worship our Lord and Savior and to spend time in this love letter called the Bible. If you are online, welcome to New Hope Church right here in the Minneapolis area. We're just delighted to connect with you. Uh, for those that I don't have the privilege of knowing, my name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, there's no place I'd rather be than right here with our church family. I love our church family, and I'm so thankful for all of you. And I love, by the way, just even as we're worshiping here, just to pause a moment as I, as I kind of closed my mouth and stopped singing and just listened as we all sing. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for leading all of us to the throne of grace in your worship. What a gift that is. What a gift that is. Well... On the sixth day, God Almighty in his joy and delight created humanity, created the first man. His name was Adam. And he commissioned Adam to cultivate and keep the created order. Adam had a charge to keep. And it seemed like things would go well and that he would indeed do that. But at some point, not too far into the big journey of creation, the devil came along and tempted Adam to sin, and Adam raised his fist against a holy God, declared himself independent, and in so doing, all of this beautiful created order that God himself had said was so very good was plunged into sin and shame, chaos, and damnation. But God is merciful, and God is not thwarted by the plans of men. And so it is, he confronts Adam, and he offers a promise to Adam. He says to him, your progeny from your descendants will rise up one who will one day crush the devil. One day, the greater man will come. Epochs of time pass. Prophets and priests come and go. Nations rise and fall. And then, on one eventful day, a child is born. And his name is Jesus.
Oh, this Jesus. And he lived a most extraordinary life. And he lived a sinless life. Yet one day he was betrayed by a friend. And he was arrested by the authorities. And he was tried in a farcical court of law led by religious elitists bent on preserving their own power. He was tortured. He was crucified. And he died on a criminal's cross. Three days later, this Jesus rose from the dead, alive. And the Shekinah glory blew up into the depths and darkness of that tomb, and Jesus took in his first new breath, and the stone was rolled away, and he stepped out into the bright morning sun of Jerusalem, resurrected. Praise God. Praise God for this. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, sin and death and the devil, these things no longer have the final word, do they? Praise the Lord for this. Praise the Lord. But hear me, friends. In the middle of these tumultuous events, a backwater leader shouted out three words that reverberate even to this moment. A backwater leader shouted out three words that despite his awareness or lack thereof, proved to be a prophetic annunciation of that greater man of the second Adam. According to John chapter 19, verse 5, that backwater leader shouted out, Behold the man. Behold the man. Specifically, Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pontius Pilate said to this great crowd, Behold the man. Oh, Jesus is that greater man promised in days of old. Jesus is the second Adam, the second man come to change the world. Jesus is the promised one, chosen and anointed by God to redeem sinners and to make all things new. This Jesus, our glorious Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, our Messiah, our friend, the only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about this Jesus in this majestic and, and uh, poetic and powerful uh, view from Colossians chapter one. I'm gonna read it, just listen carefully. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Can we just give it up for our great God and King? He's worthy of praise, isn't he? He's worthy of praise, this marvelous, beautiful Jesus, the ultimate man, the ultimate man. Trevin Wax says this of Jesus. He offers this. He says, Jesus is the one who shows us what God always intended humanity to be. I love that quote. Let me say it again here. Jesus is the one who shows us what God always intended humanity to be like. Isn't that beautiful? This Jesus is all of those things that we just read, all of those things that we celebrate. And you know he is also our ultimate example. As the ultimate man, our ultimate example. As a matter of fact, just hours before Pontius Pilate presented Jesus to the crowds who were shouting, crucify him. Just hours before, Pontius Pilate presented Jesus to those crowds by shouting out, behold the man, introducing, as it were, Jesus bloodied and tortured to that raucous crowd. Just hours before, Jesus and his disciples were gathered in a borrowed dining room in the city of Jerusalem. They were celebrating the Passover feast. But right on the front end of that meal, Jesus did something extraordinary. He got on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. This is unheard of. Jesus is the great rabbi. Jesus is the most sought after guy in the land of Israel at that time. Everybody wanted a part of him a piece of him. And here he is on hands and knees in the posture of a lowly servant and he's washing the feet of his disciples. And when he finished, he stood up and he got himself back together and then he sat down with those same disciples and he tutored them with these words. Notice this from John 13 verse 15. He says to them, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You see, Jesus is preeminent in all things. He is glorious. He is majestic. He is powerful. He is almighty God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, and Listen to me, church. 
He is also our ultimate example of how you and I as disciples can live and love and lead. I want you to really take that to heart. He is the ultimate example of how we can live and love and lead. Now, boys and girls, women and men, young and old, all of us who have any connection to Jesus have in Jesus not only the ultimate man, but the ultimate example for how we can live our lives. And while it is true that this example is for all of us girls and boys and women and men and young and old, in keeping with the theme of these few weeks, what I want to do is speak specifically to every man listening to my voice. So this is for everyone, okay? But men, I am especially desirous that you hear what I am saying. I'm talking to us men here specifically. And so this example of Jesus is for all of us. But today I'm specifically speaking to you men. So I need you to hear me. I need you to listen. I need you to lean in. We ask ourselves as men, well, if Jesus is the ultimate man, the greater man, the one that even a Roman governor would declare, behold the man, not even realizing how prophetic his words were. If Jesus is the ultimate man, what are things we might learn from him? If he is the ultimate man who is our ultimate example, and he says, I'm an example that you should do as I have done to you, well, what are the things that he does? What are the things that he is that we might learn from or emulate? Well, the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter five gives us a wonderful picture of this Jesus living out a life that pleases God and blesses others, but the context of it particularly relates to being a man and how a man can carry himself. And so I want you to join me in looking at Ephesians chapter five. If you have your Bibles with you, turn there or pull it up on your handheld device. You can look here on the screen as well. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and following. And I'm going to just read it, and I want to ask you to follow along with me here, uh, just paying attention. Husbands, Paul writes, love your wives. Notice this. It's very important, friends. Notice this. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that's a fancy word for saying that he might help her to become holy and set apart. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that is the word of God, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, that is the church, might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now this is the word of God. We praise the Lord for the word of God. And when we look at these few verses right here, right away there are a couple of observations that I need to make with you. And the first observation is simply this. The first observation is that, and you can see it here, uh, these words, they, they are for husbands. Paul is specifically addressing husbands. It says here, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I want you to understand with me that in the verses just before this, Paul is giving some wonderful wisdom to wives regarding how they can relate to their husbands. Now, Paul is turning his attention to men, to the husbands, and he's offering wisdom on how husbands can relate to their wives. Uh, The theologians call this simply Haustoffen. That's a German word, Haustoffen. It literally means household codes or family codes. And we see this in a lot of Paul's writings where he is giving biblical wisdom on how families can relate to one another with justice, with righteousness, with goodness, in ways that glorify God and bring much good to the people around them. Haustoffen, or again, household codes. So that's one thing we see going on here. And for sure, it is part of the the bigger picture of what Paul's unpacking in these verses uh, in Ephesians 5. And actually, it begins in verse 21 with this uh, admonition for husbands and wives to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is a beautiful invitation. But a second observation we make here when we look at those verses is that Paul is using marriage, hear me now, he is using marriage as an analogy for the way Christ relates to the church. And so it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he's using marriage between a man and a woman as a word picture for the way Jesus relates to Christians or the church. This is why, by the way, the church is commonly known as the, quote, bride of Christ. Maybe you didn't uh, know where that came from. It comes from this passage. We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is the glorious groom and we are the bride. And so in the same way that Jesus loves the church, and we'll look at some of those ways in a moment, so a husband needs to love his wife. That's the admonition that Paul's putting forward. Now, we can talk a lot about the whole matter of it being a word picture for the way Christ relates to the church, and that would be a great conversation perhaps at another time. I would love that. In fact, later this summer, Lord willing, we're going to spend several weeks just simply talking about church and looking from the scriptures about God's heart for church, what it is, what it's not, what it's about, what it's for, why does it matter, and what is our role. We'll be talking about all of that, Lord willing, here later this summer. But the realities are, as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, while it is 
four husbands, and it is a word picture about Christ and the church. There are some things about Jesus and how he lives and loves and leads that all of us can learn from. And again, especially us men, whether we are married or not. And what I want to do is give attention to three of those things. Three of those items that we learn from Jesus as we look in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to give attention to three of those things. And uh, they're very simple. And some of you might say, Pastor, this is a little too simple. But what I need you to know is this. As a man married 32 years, and Krista and I just celebrated our 32nd anniversary just on Thursday. And I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, you praise the Lord. I mean, this woman has put up with a lot, right? But uh, as a man that wants to be a faithful husband and a good dad and a good friend, a good neighbor, and so forth. These things may be simple, but let me tell you, these things are really timely and powerful for me, and I trust they will be for you, for all of you, and again, especially for all of us men. So here's the, here's the first thing that we can learn, or a first thing we can learn from Jesus as we look in the passage here, and you'll see it right here. As Jesus is proactive, so must we be. As Jesus is proactive, so must we be. When, when you look at the verse there, at the verses there in Ephesians 5, it's fascinating because verse 25 says that Jesus gave himself, he loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right away we're presented with this reality that Jesus moved toward sinners and sacrificed his life. And what strikes me is the utter intentionality of this, the proactivity of Jesus. He wasn't passive. He saw need, and he moved toward it. And I find that really motivating for me as a man, as a human being. Here is Jesus incarnating himself proactively coming to meet us in our sin. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He came to save sinners, and he was very intentional in this. As a matter of fact, also in, in um, John chapter 10, we see this, these words here. Uh, no one, Jesus says, takes my life from me. Notice this. Notice this here. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And what we see here is no one's making Jesus come and do the thing that he did by way of redeeming all of us sinners who were willing to follow him. No one's making him do this, but Jesus has the authority to do it or not. But notice the intentionality, the, the willingness of our Lord to move into that space where there is a need. And I'm telling you, that, that schools me on how my posture ought to be as a man. I need to be a man who is proactive. 
Because my Lord is proactive. I need to be a man who is intentionally stepping into even the uncomfortable or hard spaces. It's not like Jesus decided, you know, I'm going to go down and hang out with all the righteous people. No, I'm going to incarnate myself. That is to say, I'm going to take on human flesh, show up on the scene, and spend time with sinners who hate me and ultimately are going to kill me. Now, that's intentionality right there. One of my fears, one of my fears is that we as humans are so incredibly passive, and especially us men, it's too easy for us to be just very passive in the world in which we find ourselves. And the world seems to almost celebrate this kind of laziness, but the world is also paying for it. And I, I have to say, there's not a passive bone in Jesus's body And there ought not be in those men who claim him as Christ and Lord. We need to be men that are proactive, intentional, rising up, taking our cues from Jesus. Remember, Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and what? To give my life as a ransom for many. Guys, every space, men, every space that we step into is a space in which we need to be present and available, come what may. And it might be a small space, it might be a broad space. It might be with someone who likes us, or it might be with a crowd that is crying crucify. But the call of a man is to step into that space because that's the call of Christ. And he says, I've given you an example that you will do as I have done for you. We need to be proactive as he is. Number two, number two, as Jesus purposes to transform transform the world around him, if you will, so must we. So must we. Interestingly, um, when you look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 there, it says that he might, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he, that is Jesus, might sanctify the church, having cleansed the church. That he might present the church to himself in splendor. That the church might be holy and without blemish. Jesus had a vision. He had a vision for what he wanted to see done for the church. He had a purpose. And the purpose was to transform these sinners into something splendorous. And I appreciate that Jesus had vision and he had purpose. And as I read that, I can't help but think, hear me now, friends, and especially you men, I can't help but think about the exiles in Babylon, the Jewish exiles. Many of you may not know this story. Others of you may be very aware of the story. But long ago, long before Jesus walked the dusty trails of Galilee and Judea, uh, the Israelite people were sent into exile in the brutal land of Babylon. And according to Jeremiah chapter 29, 
God said to this very broken and dispirited people something to the effect of, don't whine. Instead, build your families, build your homes, do your jobs, and then this nugget that is powerful, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, rejoice the city in which you find yourself. That is to say, bless it, or literally, shalom it. Be peaceable there. Bring about peace and goodwill. And so there's this common theme among those called to live righteous lives that that we have this purpose to step into a space in a transformative way, to bless and not curse, to build up and not destroy. And that's what Jesus is modeling right here as we see in Ephesians 5 through Paul's words. Jesus came so that these would become splendorous, these would become radiant, these would become holy and set apart. He came to point them to things that are true and real and good and beautiful. And we ought to do the same, men. That ought to be the kind of men that we are. That whatever space we step into, we step into that with a purpose to rejoice those around us, to bring about goodwill, to bless, so the people around us can thrive. Listen to these words here that that I've put together. This ought to be our ambition, men. We ought to live so as to lift others up, to make people big. Our presence ought, ah, that's a typo of mine there, sorry. Our presence ought to make people radiant. And I want to say this to you. I I don't say this a lot. Maybe I should say it more. But I'm telling you straight up, friends. I want you to hear me, all of you. And men, listen to these words. One day, I'm going to get to heaven. I can't wait. I can't wait. And the Lord is going to look at me, and long before he ever asks me about New Hope Church, he's going to ask me how well I have loved my dear Krista and my daughters. A lot of people can pastor this church and very likely do it a whole lot better. Nobody else can be her husband but me. And the question at that moment is going to be this. When he says to me, Matthew, where is that precious bride that I tasked you with blessing? Bring her forward. Again, kind of following the vibe of Ephesians 5. And she steps forward. The question is going to be this. Listen to me, all of you. Because of me, will the Lord see pain in her eyes? Or will he see joy? Because of me, will the Lord see pain in her eyes? Or will he see joy? And you see, that right there, for us men, ought to be a sobering question for us. In every space we step into, does our presence bring pain or joy? Do we bless or curse? Now, the third thing, 
As Jesus is tender, so must we be. As Jesus is tender, so must we be. Now, when you look in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we get there to verse 29, and we see these two words connected by the word and, nourishes and cherishes. Now, these two words are striking, and I've talked about these words before. In fact, I spoke of them just a few weeks back in our series on identity. These two words are striking. Now, I want you to listen to me here. Understand this, and men, you better be paying attention. So these two words are right in the middle of a passage specifically written to husbands, written to men, and talking about the ultimate man, Jesus. So here we are, these two words are encased within a passage specific to men, and yet these two words define how a woman nurses a baby. And so the example that the Apostle Paul puts forward for how a man ought to live is the example of how a woman nurses a baby, nourishing and cherishing. There's something tender there. There's something gentle about that. And the text is really clear here. It says, He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church. In other words, the the example that Jesus himself is going to live by as he relates to the church is he's going to follow the example of a nursing mom who's nourishing and cherishing the baby. And with these words is a call for us men to do likewise, to be tender, gentle, empathetic. But let me tell you, that's not the story that we are told in our world today. We're supposed to be, you know, nothing but bravado, rough, even crude. Tyrannical, harsh. And you know, this is so bizarre to me, but even within evangelical circles, empathy is recognized by too many as something sinful or weak or beneath real manhood. And I want you to hear me say that is appalling and it is wrong. The picture that we have of Jesus is not a tyrant. Now, he is tough. He will fight for the glory of God and the dignity of image bearers. And there are those moments, particularly toward people in power who are abusing their power, where he's happy to pull out a whip and turn over a table. But listen to me. I said it a few moments ago. Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He's never harsh with the sheep. He's never harsh with the church, ever. By the way, 
time out from everything about being a man. All of us, there is never an appropriate space to be harsh toward church. We can call it out if it's wrong. We need to be truthful. But remember, at the end of the day, it is still, even when ugly, Jesus' bride. And we need to honor the church and never be harsh toward it. Now, back to what we see here for us men. Tenderness, gentleness, like a mother with a child. Is that how you relate to the people around you? Or in your insecurity, men, do you find yourself having to thump your chest so you can feel better about yourself and assert some sort of authority? That's not the way of Christ. What is upon us is an opportunity to step into every space, many spaces today being marked by rage and angst and uncertainty. What is for us is an opportunity to step into these spaces as conveyors of peace, of shalom, and as catalysts for faith and not fear. That's the way of Jesus. To come in gentle and tenderly, as Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly and meek. So we should be like him. And to the calm that that brings in a world that is so tumultuous, that is to live, love, and lead like Christ. Well, we could go on. There are many other things we might glean from these verses, but uh, let me wrap up with this question. How do we do this? For any of us, again, this is for all of us, but especially today, I'm talking to you men. I'm talking to us men. How do we men do this? How is it that I live a life that is proactively blessing the people around me? How is it that I live a life that purposes to transform and to make radiant uh, the lives of those around me? How is it that I live as a man who's tender and gentle and in a, a stabilizing peace bringer in whatever environment I step into. How do I do that? Because here's my problem. I'm selfish. I'm a sinner. I get easily tired. And frankly, I don't care too much. So how do I do this? And the passage itself answers the question. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says simply, as Christ loves... And that word loves there, that verb is an active verb. It's not a, it's, it's not a, a passive verb or, or a verb where, where all the action is stuck in the past and just kept there. Uh, the nature of the grammar suggests it's an ongoing activity. Loving, Christ loving us is not something only for the past. It's what he's doing right now. And what that means, listen to me, all of you. And men, hear me. Right now, this moment, he can actively love through you. 
And so the invitation for you and for me is to say, Lord Jesus Christ, would you live, love, and lead through me in this moment with this person, with these people, in this space? Would you love through me? May your love shine through me. And men, let us ever, ever have, let us ever and always have that openness to Christ. That he would love through me, the people around me, at whatever moment I find myself in. And when we do that, then we are embodying so beautifully these words from Colossians 1, which is, Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. That's what we bring into every moment. Behold the man. So Heavenly Father, Would you stand with me now, friends? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our preeminent King Jesus, the greater man that has come to set things right. The man presented by Pilate, the ultimate man, the second Adam, the very one who says, as I have done to you, so you must do. May we men, following his lead, be men who are intentional, men who are visionary in blessing those around us, men who are tender, stabilizing every space with the peace and shalom of our Lord. And lest we wonder how, may we remember, as Christ loves, so Christ can love through us. Make it so, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.